The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. My aim this morning is, is really simple. And I can, I can draw it right out of the, the narrative. My aim is that we would be a people like the early church, humble and prayerful. And that we would not be like Herod, proud and haughty, arrogant, self-sufficient, boastful, full of vain glory. So let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, I want to echo the prayer from the 8 a.m. prayer meeting. One of the brothers prayed, drawing from the Old Testament, is not your word like a fire, like a hammer that shatters a rock? And then he prayed, Lord, break the rocks in us. And from this text, I pray that you break the rocks of, of pride and unbelief in us by the power of your word. And in its place, grant the graces of humble, genuine, saving faith and trust in you and hope in you in all of our situations. So break the pride and in its place, grant faith, humble faith, that you would be exalted in us and in our lives and in our church and in our world. Pray these things for your glory and not for ours. In Jesus' name, amen. I need to begin with an explanation of who Herod is. Uh, The Herod mentioned in verse 1 of our text is Herod Agrippa I. There's several Herods in the Bible. And let me just put this Herod in contrast with two of his family members. His grandfather we know as King Herod the Great. He's the Herod uh, around the time of the birth of Christ. Remember when Herod, Herod heard the prophetic word that there was to be a child born who would become king of the Jews. Remember what he did? He kind of said to the, to the wise men, tell me when you find him. I'd like to worship him too. And remember what he did? Hearing that the, that the star rested over Bethlehem. The wise men were too wise to fall for that. They didn't go back to Herod and tell him. But Herod sent the soldiers to kill all the babies two years old or less, male babies, in order to extinguish this threat to his throne. That's the grandfather of our Herod in chapter 12. That was King Herod the Great. His uncle, also another king, Herod Antipas, also called Herod the Tetrarch. He's the one who beheaded John the Baptist. And he's also the one 
After Jesus' arrest, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod Antipas, and Herod mocked Jesus. Herod made fun of him. He was full of disdain and ridicule toward Jesus, such that he, he dressed him up in, in flowery clothes and sent him back to Pilate to be crucified. So this Herod, Herod Agrippa I, in chapter 12, comes from a family of proud mockers of God. He was a shrewd politician, constantly seeking to please people in at least two different camps, please the Jews so that they might not mount an insurrection, and he sought to please the Romans because the Romans had put him in place as a puppet king over Palestine. He was duplicitous, and, and he, 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 he acted, he led on the approval of, of people. You know, I'm mindful of one time my wife and I, a long time ago, we were in New York City and we were on the street there. Somebody invited us to, to watch a, a pilot of a new TV show. And, and she was, okay, sure. And we went in there and there's, you know, the, the TV show's on the screen and in one hand is a like button and in the other hand is a don't like button. <laughs> and so we're told, like, if you like what's on the screen, do that. If you, if you don't like it, do that. <laughs> That's how pilot led. Just kind of watching for the likes. Yep, people like what I'm doing. I'm going to keep doing that. Well, people don't like it. I better change. That's Pilate. And he thought much of himself. And he thought that because he, he would do things to receive the praise of people. It fed his ego, and he was therefore arrogant and haughty because people praised him, and even people feared him. People are afraid of me. I, I like that. I like that. So that's Herod. Herod Agrippa I. Now our text is this, I just think of it as a marvelous narrative about uh, the triumph of God over the haughtiness of Herod in, verse, or in chapter 12. Herod, appro- Herod opposed God three times in the text in this chapter. He killed James, he arrested Peter, and he exalted himself as divine. Number one, we'll take them one at a time. Herod killed James. Verse one. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Remember James, he's one of the 12 apostles. There were two Jameses. James, the brother of Jesus, is the other James that's the disciple he's mentioned later in our text. But this James is the brother of John. He's a key leader in the church in Jerusalem. And uh, Herod sought to stop the spread of the gospel and please the Jews by laying violent hands on the on some who belong to the church, and he 
killed James with the sword. What does that mean? Tradition says, and there's no reason to doubt this, Herod had James beheaded. So did, did, Herod, did King Herod get the upper hand on King Jesus here? I say no. And to simply lay that out for you, I've got three texts. Three texts. Two from the mouth of Jesus and one from the prayer of the early church. Number one, Jesus in Mark 10, 39 foretold that this was going to happen to James. You might remember the account, John and James are talking about who would be the greatest. And Jesus said, are, are you willing to drink the cup that I drink? Are you willing to die for my name's sake? And remember John and James said, we are. And Jesus said, you will. Here's the verse. The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. John, James, you will be killed for my name's sake. Jesus foretold this. Second word from Jesus, Luke 21, 16 and 18. Long before this, Jesus had assured his disciples to keep in view the hope of eternal life when you are facing lethal persecution. In other words, when people are threatening to kill you because you are a Christian, walk into it in hope of eternal life. Here's the first. Luke 21, 16. Jesus says, some of you, they will put to death, but not a hair of your head will be harmed. So not only did Jesus foretell this moment when James is beheaded, and not only had Jesus prepared James and the other disciples for this with the hope of eternal life, even though they lose their life, but also the prayer of the early church. This, this is a profound prayer, and it has stuck with me for a long time. This is in Acts 4. You might remember this. You could go there if you want to. Um, Acts 4, remember that the church is under persecution. Uh, Peter and John had been arrested, and the church is praying. And the way they make sense out of the persecution and suffering of the moment is by reflecting on the sovereignty of God in the death of Christ and how God was at work in that horrible Persecution, and therefore they take hope in their persecution. Here it is. Here's how they pray. This is Acts 4, 27. Sovereign Lord, truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod 
and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So they have a theology when this suffering is is happening that this is like the sovereignty of God over the death of Christ where evil men did what God had predestined and planned to do for the glory of God and the salvation of the world. And therefore, in our sufferings, in the beheading of James, we are going to trust that God is at work in the same way for the glory of his name, the advance of the gospel. Herod doesn't triumph in the beheading of James. You know the familiar verse from Tertullian, third century church leader, the, verse, the, the familiar saying, He's the church leader from Carthage, North Africa, where he said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, observing that sooner or later when Christians are killed, the church is planted and the church grows. Another sentence like that I came across in Fox's Book of the Martyrs. It was observed when Patrick Hamilton, the Scottish reformer, was burned at the stake for the, for the gospel. He proclaimed justification by faith and was burned at the stake for it. The line in Fox's Book of the Martyr is this, this observation. The smoke of Patrick Hamilton hath infected all those on whom it blew. (laughs) In other words, as he's burning for the gospel, the aroma of the gospel is spreading and affecting all those who are in its smoke, (laughs) in the smoke. Jesus triumphed over King Herod's arrogant attempt here. Second, Herod arrested Peter. I I cannot help but smile. I was smiling down in the pew when I read this this account. This is a very enjoyable account. (laughs) It's uh, verse 3. Um, when he, this Herod, saw that it, namely the killing of James, pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. See what he's doing? Oh, that made the Jews happy. I'm going to take Peter. You know, if, if one killed disciple makes the, the Jewish people happy, I will kill another one. He arrests Peter, and... Um, And Peter's under guard. You know, there's an explanation of it here. If you, if you just add it up. Well, one thing, P- I assume that Herod put Peter under guard because of earlier in the book of Acts in chapter 5, uh, the disciples, P- Peter and the disciples walk out of prison miraculously. So he, P- Herod's going, okay, this is not going to happen again. So I'm going to put 16 soldiers on him four at a time, round the clock, so like six-hour shifts, assume, assuming the math is, is straight up. Um, and, and two of the soldiers will be chained to Peter, and two will be guarding the door at a time. So four guys on him all the time. I mean, Houdini couldn't escape from this, right? Herod planned to hold Peter until after the Passover, put him to trial, and put him to death. 
expecting his own fame to soar. But God had other plans. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer. Fervent prayer. That's the word that's used to describe the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The church is praying for Peter. And suddenly... An angel of the Lord appeared in the cell and illuminated the cell. And the angel struck Peter to wake him. Get up quickly, verse 7. And the shackles fell off. And, And the angel said, get dressed, get your sandals on and follow me. I love it. And then verse 9. Peter did not know what was being done by the, that what was being done by the angels was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. So Peter's getting up. He he thinks he's dreaming. Having walked away from the two guards to whom he was chained, Peter and the angel proceeded to walk past the other two guards up to the iron gate of the city, locked, and verse 10 says, it opened for them of its own accord. You gotta love it. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. And it wasn't until then that Peter wakes up in verse 11b. Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and all that the Jewish people were expecting. I mean, what comes to his senses, you know, like this is not a dream. I'm out here. Now, being wide awake, he hurries to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where the disciples are praying fervently for him. And he he arrives, he he knocks on the door. The servant girl, Rhoda, comes to the door. And and I assume, you know, who is it? Peter says, it's me. And she, she, here, verse 14, recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. I love it. So she runs to the room where the believers are praying. And, you know, I'm assuming they're praying things like, Lord, please give Peter boldness before Herod to speak your word with with power and with grace. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy. Let this cup pass. uh, Pass up. Peter, bye. Lord, please set him free. Don't take James and, and Peter from us. And another praise, Lord, not as we will, but your will be done. And Rhoda's going, hey, Peter is at the door. (laughs) Hey, you guys. And they say, look, you're crazy. It's just his angel. Just keep praying. Lord, release Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Verse 16, Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, assuming, you know, okay, so now it's not just Rhoda, it's they, right? (laughs) Open the door, there's Peter. Uh, When they opened, they saw him and were amazed. The next day, Herod found out that Peter had escaped, and uh, after searching for him, he had the guards killed. 
Herod opposed God by arresting Peter. God defeated Herod by setting Peter free. The kingdom of Herod comes against the kingdom of Christ, and the kingdom of Christ triumphs again. Third instance in our chapter, Herod opposed God by exalting himself very flagrantly and publicly. So now, this third time Herod opposed God in our text is by blatantly exalting himself in Caesarea. Herod had become upset, had become angry with the people of the cities of Tyre and Sidon and had threatened to cut off their food supply. They were dependent on Herod for food And so these people came to Herod seeking to please him so that they could get their food. It's like praise, praising Herod, keeping Herod happy equals peace and food. So they're coming to please him, make him happy. And they know what makes him happy. It's praise. So once again, in our text, I mean, Herod was after his own glory and the beheading of James. He was after the, his own glory and the arresting and planned beheading of Peter. And here again, he's after his own glory. Verse 21 says that, you know, imagine these desperate people coming to him, wanting to make him happy so that they can have food and so that they can have peace. So they gather around him and Herod plays it up to the hilt. Verse 21. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes and took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. The the ancient Jewish historian Josephus adds a few more details that are helpful. The royal clothing of Herod was made of silver. And so as he spoke, the sun shone upon him, reflecting brightly and brilliantly off his silver garments. And he's, he's speaking this, this oration, and, and the, the light is, is you know, glancing off of, off of his silver and you know, kind of blinding people. And the, the people responded to Herod's posturing himself in this glorious, divine, eloquent, king, kingly image he was portraying. And they replied, the voice of a God and not a man. They're proclaiming his divinity. Verse 23, immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. God says, enough of Herod. His patience, done. 
You remember Luke, the author of Acts, is a physician, a medical doctor. It's interesting, you know, he doesn't really elaborate on the details, but he does say eaten by worms. Eaten by worms. You know, maybe it's something like tapeworms from sheep or dogs. Maybe those worms cause some kind of obstruction. Very painful. Or rupture. Very painful. The hair is struck down dead. So for the third time in chapter 12, the triumph of King Jesus is seen over the vanity of King Herod. I want to close and and set up the, the Lord's table with two applications, and I can't separate them. So... I'm saying that it's kind of frustrated to try to separate them. They're kind of attached. (laughs) So let me try to say it in a way that makes sense to you. My, My two main takeaways for us at Bethlehem, number one, God is calling us to pray. And number two, God is calling us to be humble. Number one, God is calling us to pray. You know, think about it. You know, Herod seemed unstoppable, right? By all natural measures, Herod is going to win. He's the king. But the church prays, and in the face of what looks impossible, they, they pray, and God answers, and even when he answers... <laughs> They think of it as impossible. <laughs> that's, that's, I, I laugh because it's like they get the answer and they don't believe it. <laughs> so that makes me push back and, and think, no. do, do, do I pray impossible things? Do you pray impossible things? Things that like if you heard that God answered, you'd go, no, it couldn't be. But, but it could be. God is calling us to pray. To pray for impossible things, for the glory of his name. Pray for little things and to pray for big things, both of which might seem impossible. God's calling us to pray for reconciliation. For those, with those, that we have broken relationships with. You might say, well, that seems impossible. It's not impossible. With God, all things are possible. More impossible things. Lord, heal the the broken and the brokenhearted. Grant hope to the suicidal. Humility to the haughty. God, save our children. Help our 
children, help this child. Lord, please have mercy. Lord, work in our marriage, or in this marriage or that marriage. Lord, bring about peace in our city. Heal the racial divisions. Bring about a, a new sanity and civility. And Lord, Afghanistan and Iran and North Korea and my impossible situation at work tomorrow. <laughs> Just God is calling us to pray for things that we think are impossible across the board, big and small, near and far, for the glory of his name. So that's the first takeaway. Let me give you the second. God is calling us to, to humility. The angel of the Lord struck down Herod because he did not give the glory to God. Herod was bent on the approval of people, on receiving glory from people, in exalting himself. So, my takeaway for us is that I search my heart. You search your heart. Search to see, observe the power of the approval of people on your mood, on your attitudes, on your actions. God, am I like this kind of person when, I mean, do I play? I, I remember thinking at times in, in raising adolescents that they, they, they were acting as if there was a studio audience in the room. Like, for a, 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 like the laugh track was going to kick in when they said something smart. I mean, now the thing would be that the likes on social media would ding, 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 ding. I mean, Lord, search me. Am, am I playing to the approval of other people? And am I blind to the fact that you see everything? And rather than trying to... Uh, please people, I should be seeking to please you. And rather than seeking the praise of other people, I should be praising you. And rather than celebrating the people who are afraid of me, like, hey, I killed, I should be afraid of you. <sighs> you know, I... I Jesus makes it really, really clear that you cannot be one who lives on the praise of other people 
and believe in Christ. It's shocking. I'll read it. John 5, 44. How can you believe? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? So it's a really serious thing because it's a worship thing. I mean, to to make it simple, if we worship other people by seeking their praises, we don't worship God. So I'm going to... How, how do you think when I say, you know, humble, be humble. God is calling us to be humble. Don't think of it like extroverted, introverted, you know, like I'm either humble or I'm not. <laughs> that's not, that's not the biblical view here. No, th- this, this is a command in several places in the Bible. Humble yourselves. Think about that. Humble yourselves. So I'm calling us to, to do that. Humble yourself. The, the verse that, that puts it so tightly together for me is uh, 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. It links the two takeaways. Listen. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your cares on him because he cares for you. Hear how they go together? The way to humble yourselves in 1 Peter 5 is by being the kind of person who has an orientation before God as, as humble, broken, dependent. He is God, I am not. And needy. Casting all our cares on Him because He cares for us. Humble people are praying people. Praying people are humble people. So the takeaways could really be one. I I pray that God would give us grace for a new resolve for prayer and a new resolve to humble ourselves before God in prayer, in, in faith, in awareness of his exaltation and our weakness, our smallness, our dependence on him. And may that humility feed our prayer and may that prayer exalt God as glorious. So it, it hangs together. It sets up the table. Let me pray, and then I'll say a few words. Father in heaven, grant us grace to do this this thing called humble yourselves before the Lord. Break our pride and thereby strengthen our faith. Grant that we would hope in you and in you alone. Grant that we would seek your pleasure and yours alone. Break the power of people pleasing within us. And uh, 
Grant that in utter dependence, in humility, we would be casting all our cares on you, all these impossible things on you, because you care for us and keep us from delusions of our own importance and strength and power to do anything good apart from you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.